0: Well, thank you, Steve, and happy Sabbath to everybody, wherever uh, you may be. It's great to be here with you again, and we were talking a little bit about the Feast of Tabernacles, and how that went, and today we're we're going to, as Steve has mentioned, the title of this message is A Message to the Churches of God, and we're going to uh, start going, by, uh, going to Deuteronomy 6, and verse 4, Deuteronomy 6. In verse 4, we're going to start from the from the most important, from the beginning. This is what God has for us. And this is what God is telling us. And the message is not a message from me. It's a message that is written in the Bible, but it's a message to the churches of God. And we're going to get to that. But before that, we're going to read uh, the foundational things, the, the most important things in our life. And what we have to be reminded of every day. And this is really setting the stage for the message that we're going to study today. In verse 4 of Deuteronomy 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, our one God is the Lord, the Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. And you shall diligently teach them to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And we know that this is the greatest commandment, because Jesus said that. Let's go to Mark 12. But this is the most important thing for us to do. So as we're going to go to this message to the churches of God, just to keep this in mind, that this is exactly what God wants. What he desires the most is that we do this. The greatest commandment, the greatest thing that we can do in this life, because this, in verse 28 here in Mark 12, it says that one of the scribes who had come up to him, this is to, to Jesus, after hearing them, reasoning together, and perceiving that he answered them well, well, obviously, how is you know Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, not going to answer well? He asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Then Jesus answered him. The first of all the commandments is. Hear O Israel. Our one God is the Lord. The Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God. With all your heart. And with all your soul. And with all your mind. And with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And this is the most important thing. And then he added to that. Because he only asked him. Which is the first commandment of all? And he answered the question, but he kept going. Jesus kept going. He said, and the second is like this, right? In case you you want to know what's the second after the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And this is the foundation. Before we get into this message to the churches of God, which obviously includes all of us. And not just all of us, but all of our brethren in all the organizations, in all of the churches of God right now. Because this message is for everyone. It's for all of us. And this message is in Psalm 50. And we're going to go to Psalm 50 now. Let's go to Psalm 50 because this is where that message that we're going to study today is. And we're going to see some, some things that God wants all of us to know. Because we have to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and being, and strength. And that's where our eyes need to be. They need to be on God. That's where our heart needs to be. Like he said in Deuteronomy 6, and these words shall be in your heart. He doesn't say only in in your in your mouth or, you know, whenever it's Sabbath service or whenever it's the Sabbath. No, it's all the time. He says, you shall talk of them with your children when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way. All the time, when you rise up, when you lie down, all of that is a, is a full-time job to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and being and strength. But love is something that cannot be legislated. We cannot put a set of do's and don'ts on love. That has to come from within. That has to come from the heart. But it goes together with the words of God that they need to be in our hearts. They need to be in our minds. That we are to live As Jesus said, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, as it says in Deuteronomy 8 and as it says in in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4. But this is the message in Psalm 50. We're going to start studying this message because this is what God has for all of us. So it doesn't matter which of the groups of the Church of God you're in. The Church of God is one. There is one body. We know that there are seven churches. There There were seven churches in the past. And we know there are many organizations, but this is what God says to all his churches, to all his groups, to all his people, which are one, under Jesus Christ, because Christ is the head of the church. He says in in verse 1, the mighty God, God, the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shined forth. And we understand a lot of things related to this. We know that this is the way that Jesus Christ is going to come. The sign of the Son of Man is going to be just like that. It's it's basically going to be like another sign. But it says, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty God has shined forth. He will shine forth when he's ready to appear on the earth. And this is what it says in verse 3. Our God shall come, and he shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. So this is going to happen. But the message is already here. We don't have to wait until he returns to hear these things. We don't have to wait this. In fact, we're going to see that this message is already written here for us right now, for every one of us in the Church of God right now, which we understand and know that is a spiritual, organiz- a spiritual body, not a physical organization of man. But that's what he says. He says that he shall, he shall come and shall devour before him and he shall be very tempestuous all around. Because when God speaks, that's the way it is. Let's go to Exodus 19 and we'll come back to Psalm 50. So keep your finger on Psalm 50. We're going to keep coming back. We're going to read the message, the whole message in its entirety as we study it together. But Exodus 19 and verse 16. And this is when God was about to give the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was exceedingly loud so, uh, so that all the people in the camp tremble. Because this is when God speaks, he's powerful. He's really powerful. That's why it will be all very tempestuous all around as we just read in verse 3. Because when he comes, he comes in power and with his glory and is absolutely uh, tremendous. It's something something to behold, but it's something to be afraid of. And it says, and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the base of the mountain. And this is just to give us context of what, what this message is going, because this is the backdrop of the message. It's a similar thing. It says, and Mount Sinai, verse 18, was smoking. All of it because the Lord came down upon it in fire and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. Just just to put ourselves in that position. When we have an earthquake, we get terrified. When we have a volcano erupting, we get terrified. This was both at the same time. It was like so much smoke and it was the mountain was quaking. And, the sound, and when the sound of the trumpet sounded long and became very strong, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And we know that this terrified all the people. But this is, this is God showing his power. And that's what it says here. Let's go back to Psalm 50. But this is what, what God says. And this is how, when he speaks, we have to listen. We have to listen to him. And we have to listen with with awe and with respect. And yes, with fear, because God is worthy of fear. Not of being afraid, that's different. But of fear of his power and his might. That's why it says that a fire shall devour before him, because it's the same way that he came to the mountain. And he shall be very tempestuous all around him. It's going to be something to behold. And then it says in verse 4, in this message, he shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth so that he may judge his people he calls to the heavens from above and how many times does god put heaven and earth for witnesses when he's going to say something important he calls them to record right when he's going to say something important he wants the heavens and the earth as witnesses for what he's going to do and here he calls the heavens and the earth so that he may judge his people and we know why he's, he's judging his people now and why he's going to judge his people. Let's go to John 5 really quick. We're going to come back. Like I said, we're going to be going to a lot of scriptures, but the coming back to this message to the churches of God. Let's go to John 5 and verse 22, because this is where Jesus himself declares, for the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. And we know that that Jesus Christ has been given all judgment. And one of the reasons is because he has come in the flesh and he's had the human experience and he knows what it's like to be in the flesh and to be subject to human nature. He did not sin. Sin did not rule over him. And he conquered sin. and He conquered human nature through the power of the Holy Spirit because he was full of the Holy Spirit. But what did he do? Let's go to Matthew 28. And what did he say at the end? Matthew 28, 18. And this is some of the last words before before he um, continued to instruct his disciples. But he said in, in verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So all authority has been given to me. He says, therefore, go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And this is still a commission to the church. So this is part of the, of what he told not only his disciples, but everybody who would follow him, that they would teach others to observe all things he has commanded. But he is the one that judges. Let's go back to Psalm 50 to our message, because here in Psalm 50, and we read in verse 4, that he may judge his people because all judgment has been given to him and all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to him. And he is the head of the church. No man is the head of the church. And we know that. We know it's a spiritual body of believers who come together to worship the true God in spirit and in truth. But the true body of believers have to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and being and strength first. And then love love the neighbor as themselves. And that's what we heard. That's what we see. That is the very first and most important thing that God wants us to do. But he calls. So he, he comes in Psalm 50, and he has a message for his people. And it says, for his people. This is not for the world. None of the rest of the words in this message, in this psalm, none of them are for the world. We cannot point to them and say that this is for them. This is for all of us. And it is a sobering message, but it's also a good reminder of whom we serve and who is the head of the church and who is the one that's leading and guiding us and who is the one that we have to all come before and have our eyes and mind fixed on. Is Jesus Christ our Lord and on God the Father, whom he has revealed. But he tells us here, and this is how we know that the rest, the entire rest of this message is for all of those who have been called. Verse 5, gather my saints unto me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And we know we have made a covenant with him by sacrifice. We know we have, have done that. Why? Because that's that's a, a baptism. That's what has happened at baptism. Let's go to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19. Because this is this is what God does when He when He speaks to His people. He says, I call heaven in earth to record this day against you. Again, it's what what, what he was saying before. Right, He called heaven and earth because He was going to judge His people. He's going to give a message to all His people. He's giving this message to us. He says that, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you both you and your seed may live. And this goes together with what we read in Deuteronomy 6, that we should teach these words to our children. Because our seed is not going to live if we don't teach these things. That's what we read in Matthew 28. Teaching them to observe all things that he has commanded us. This is part of that. And we know that we have made a covenant with him at baptism because we have pledged our debt. Let's go as, as, as um, just, just really as a review. Let's go back to Romans 6. Romans 6, three. We know these things. This is just a reminder, but it goes together with what he said. Gather my people, those who have, been, who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Because that's what it is. It's a sacrifice that we have made. We have pledged our death. That's what we have pledged when we were baptized. We basically have, have promised before God that we will never depart from him. That we will be his forever. Romans 6 3 says, Or are you ignorant that we, as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we buried with him, we were buried with him through the baptism into the death. And this is the death of Christ. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, in the same way we should also walk in newness of life. Because we pledged, we pledged our our life. Basically, we say, if we break this covenant, let me die, and that's what we're put under water in the way that we are, symbolizing our death. And this is this is a very serious thing. Let's go back to Psalm 50, because it says, "Gather my saints unto me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice." So every single one of us who has been baptized has made this covenant with God by sacrifice. Each and every one of us. Our sacrifice is not, is not of an animal. It's not with the blood of bulls and goats. That's not what we've done. We pledged our own life when we went under the watery grave. And we have made that covenant. So he's speaking to us. That's why he calls us the saints. He says, gather my saints unto me. But now let's get into the message. Because what else does he say? He says, and the heavens shall declare his righteousness. For God himself is judge. Again, what we saw, Jesus Christ, He said, "All judgment has been given to me," and that's and, and that's who who is doing this. God Himself is judged. Psalm ninety-seven, and we'll again we'll come back to Psalm fifty, but let's go to Psalm ninety-seven, just to to remind ourselves of of this as, about God being judged. Psalm ninety-seven and verse six. It says, the heavens declare his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. And that's what we read in Psalm 50 and verse 6. It's the heavens that declare his righteousness. That's why he calls them also as witnesses. He calls heaven and earth, because the heavens declare his glory. They basically testify of who he is, and he has the right to judge. Because he is a righteous judge. He is a loving God as well. But he's also strong and powerful and worthy of awe and respect and reverence and fear. He is worthy of all of that. And he tells us in verse 7, hear my people. It's all of us. All of us in all the churches of God. Hear my people and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God. Even your God. And that's what we read in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel. Right? We have one God. We have God the Father and Jesus Christ. And they are one. And he says, hear my people and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God. Even your God. He, he calls himself our God. Because he is. Because he is. Let's go to Deuteronomy 32, Deuteronomy 32, because this this tells us, we know that this is a message to Israel, but what does it say in Deuteronomy 32, 21? This is what happened, and this is the song that God told Moses to write, that it would be a witness to them when they would go astray from him, but what does he say? After they go and basically prophesy of everything that they were going to do. They were going to rebel. They were going to deny him. They were going to go astray. And then he says, they have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. And I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. That's what it says. And let's go to Romans because that's the counterpart to this. Romans 9. Romans 9 and verse 25, because we know what happened with the people of Israel and that God, will go, we're going to move him to jealousy with the people who are not a people. And, that, and that's us. That's why he says here in Romans 9, 25, accordingly, he also said to Hosea, I will call those who are not my people, my people, and those who are not beloved, beloved. And he shall be in the place where he was said to them, you are not my people, There they shall be called the sons of the living God. Because he has called us. He has called us. We are basically a foolish nation. He chose the weak and bastings of the world. We are not a people. We are not a bloodline. We have been called according to the will of God. It's not a bloodline anymore. It's not only the descendants of Abraham. Yes, the people of Israel have a great destiny, and God will fulfill the promises that he made. And he will save Israel and Judah first. That's what the Bible teaches. And it will happen. And we know there's 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe. But right now, right now, we are also the people of God. We are the spiritual people of God. And he's talking to us as well. He's testifying against us, going back to Psalm 50 in verse 7, because he says, I am your God, I am God, even your God. He's making it very clear who he's speaking to, and he's making it very clear that he's speaking to all of us, to you and me, to those who have made a covenant by sacrifice at baptism. And now let's hear his words, what he says. In verse 8, I will not reprove you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will take no bull out of your house, nor he goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the livestock upon a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine, and all the fullness of it. I will eat the flesh of bull. will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? so this is a question that he's asking all of us, all of us and he's telling us that we will not reprove us for our sacrifices or for our burnt offerings. so when we bring an offering to God, he's not reproving us he will not reprove us for that, but he also wants us to understand that. He doesn't depend upon the things that we bring to him. He takes delight in the prayer of his saints. But he doesn't need, just like he didn't need the sacrifices back then, he did not need the, the, the meat from, from the sacrifices. That's what he says. Everything is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. Everything is mine, the fullness of it. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? And how does this translate to today? Because we no longer offer animal sacrifices. The sacrifices are in heaven above, and we have one one sacrifice, one perfect sacrifice for all, and it's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. We know that. So what are these things here? At least, what is the relationship to us? When, when he talks about these things, he could be telling us as well, All of the things I will not reprove you for your sacrifices, I will not reprove you for keeping my feasts, for keeping my holidays, for keeping my Sabbath, for tithing, for abstaining yourself from unclean meats. I will not reprove you for any of that. But also don't think that those things do anything to God. Those are for us to change us. Because that's what God wants. And those are the minimum requirements. So that we don't think that we are so good just by the sacrifices that we do. That's why he's saying these things here. Because sometimes people tend to think, and this is why he was saying these things, because this, they say, we are the people of God, right? We are the people of God, or the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, and just hang on to those things. But without a real relationship, these things are just the foundational things. They don't mean, they, they, they really can't by themselves mean something. It has to be in the context of our relationship. Let's let's go to Luke's, Luke 17. Luke 17. Because this is this is what Jesus said regarding the things that we were commanded to do. Luke 17, verse 7, it says, But which of you, having a servant plowing or shepherding, will immediately say to him when he comes from the field, Come and sit down and eat. Rather, will he not say to him, Prepare what I may eat and gird yourself? And serve me well, I, I eat and drink. And afterwards you may eat and drink. Is he thankful to that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. And if he says to the people of Israel, don't think that I, that, that they, I'm doing this. I'm asking you to offer all these sacrifices because I'm hungry. That's not what it is. It was to change them. It was for them to see that there has to be shed blood in order for us to be able to come before God. And we know that. We know that it was the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed so that we can come before the presence of God the Father. But he says, likewise, verse 10, likewise, when you have done all the things that are commanded you, say we are unprofitable servants because we have done that which we we were obligated to do. So the Sabbath and the holidays and all, all of these, they're good. They're good and they're and they re- they're commanded, they're required. Absolutely. They are the foundation of our relationship with God. They are the foundation of our development. They are, the, they are that rock because they come from the Word of God. And the Word became flesh. And that Word was, was God. And that was the rock. So everything that we do. It's what we were commanded to do. But when we are done all of those things, say this. We are unprofitable servants because we have done that which we we're obligated to do. So the first thing that he says to his people in this message in Psalm 50 is, don't think that you're doing me a favor. That's not what this is about. This is for you. This is for your good. This is so that you understand things. This is so that you come to the knowledge of God and the understanding of the deep things of God. But this is not just to check a list like other religions do and check a list and think, we're good, we're fine, we've done these things. That's not what God wants. What God wants in in, in Psalm 50, coming back to Psalm 50 in verse 14, is here. He says, offer to God thanksgiving. And we know we're coming up in in the United States upon the holiday of Thanksgiving. But what he wants is real Thanksgiving every day from the heart, not just in one day as a nation, but every day. Offer to God Thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Pay your vows, which means vow. Now, it's better to not vow if we're not going to be able to keep it. That's what the Bible says, because God does not take delight in fools. But he says, but if you make a vow, it says pay your vows to the Most High. He likes when we, do, when we do things to strengthen our relationship with him, when we make a vow of something. But we have to keep it, and we should not overcommit. But if we are moved to make a vow, we have to keep it. But that's what God wants. God wants that relationship. This is what he talks about. It'll offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. This is all about relationship. Verse 15, if there's any doubt, and call upon me in the day of trouble. And I will deliver you, and you shall honor me. It says to call upon him in the day of trouble. Because he will deliver us, and we shall honor him. Because the the love gets strengthened when we go through trials, and he rescues us, and he pulls us out of our trials and afflictions. The the relationship gets so much stronger when we go through those trials. And we call upon him in the day of our trouble. And he delivers us and we honor him. That's what he wants. That honor comes and flows from the heart because of what he has done. And that's what it's all about. He's saying, yeah, these things are required, but you don't think that you're doing them for me. Because I require them of you. And when you've done everything, you're an unprofitable servant. The profitable servant is the one that goes beyond that and continues in that, into that depth with God when we offer thanksgiving to God, when we pay our vows to the Most High, when we come before His presence, when we call Him in trouble, when we call upon Him when things are good, to praise Him and to give Him glory and to give Him thanks. That's what He wants. He wants a real relationship. And then it says, and again, verse 16, this entire message, this entire message is to the people of god he says he's spoken from the heavens gather to me my saints those who have made a covenant he shall come so that he says so that he may judge his people in verse 4 it tells us that he's judging his people that's why verse 16 is also for his people and i know this is very sobering but the purpose of the message is for us to pay attention to This message that God has for all his churches, for all his people, all around the world. That we have to honor God. That we have to love him with all our hearts, all mind and being and strength. Because there's some very stern warnings that we're going to read here. Very stern. But God wants us to take heed and pay attention. Verse 16. But to the wicked God says, and again, these are the ones that are operating wickedly. And some of us do. At times we all do. We all still sin. We all still make mistakes. We all still have bloopers, as Fred calls them. We do. We do. But he says, to the wicked God says, to the one that is not forthright with him. But there are brethren and some of us that do these things from time to time. But only God can rectify us. Only God can change us. He has to get the wickedness out of us. We all have. We all have a desperately wicked heart. Jeremiah 17 says that. So we cannot say that this does not apply to us. We have to remember that this does apply to every single one of us. It doesn't matter if we're a member. It doesn't matter if we're an elder. It doesn't matter if we're a minister. It doesn't matter who we are. God speaking to his people one-on-one. Those who have made a covenant with him when we were baptized, one-on-one, we made a covenant with God and we answer to God. We don't answer to a man. We answer to God directly. But he says, but to the wicked, God says, and this is what we have to be careful, that we take heed to these words so that he can cleanse us and so that he can take our iniquity away. What right have you to declare my statutes and to take up my covenant in your mouth? Because God is not happy if we're preaching and saying one thing but doing another. God is not pleased. When we declare his statutes, if we do the things that he says here not to do, he's not pleased if we do that. And to take up my covenant in your mouth. And this is what he said in Isaiah. Let's go, let's go there for a minute. Isaiah 1. Because if we can see a little bit more sometimes sometimes how God feels. He felt like this with Israel, but we cannot be kidding ourselves. This is not just for Israel. This is for us. This is also for the spiritual people of God today. Because if we're doing the same things that Israel did and looking away and looking to man and, and looking to other things, we're falling into this. And the entire message is to those who are his people. In verse 11 of Isaiah 1, it says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Says the Lord. I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this at your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more vain sacrifices. He's telling each and every one of us. We don't just come and sit here for for two hours and learn about God and go our merry way and forget about God. We don't do that. That that would be a vain sacrifice. He says, "Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity along with the solemn assembly. Saying what I cannot endure is the iniquity that comes with and The sad reality, brethren, is that we all are still struggling against our nature, against human nature. We're still fighting sin, and we still sin. We do not practice sin if we have been begotten by God, as it says in, in 1 John. We do not practice sin, but we do still sin. And we have to be aware of that, because he cannot endure iniquity along with the solemn assembly. He wants true repentance. And then he says in verse 14, your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. Because it's not, it's not his commandment that he hates. It's the other things that we do while we're keeping these things or alongside keeping these things. It says, they are a trouble to me. I am weary to bear them. And this is a very stern warning. When you, when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yet when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. And just exactly like our hands are not full of blood at the sacrifices now in the temple because we don't do that anymore. But are our hands full of blood in the spiritual sense? We have to ask ourselves this question. Because if we are hating our brother, because if we're doing these things, our hands are full of blood. The same, that's what Jesus Christ said when he elevated the law. It's not about murder, it's about hate in your heart and in your mind. And if we're doing these things, he says that he will not hear. But he tells us, verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Take away that iniquity. But we have to cooperate. We know we cannot do it by ourselves. We know that. But this is what we have to do. Verse 17, learn to do good. Learn to do good in our hearts, in our minds. Not judging, not condemning other people. Judging righteous judgments. We can judge matters. We cannot judge people. Jesus Christ said that very clearly. Our judgment has been given to me. And he says do not condemn others. But he said learn to do good. Seek judgment. Reprove the oppressor. Judge the orphan. Plead for the widow. That's what he tells us. Let's go back to Psalm 50. Psalm 50, because this is sometimes what happens. In verse 17, yeah, you hate to be taught, and you cast my words behind you. And how many of us have cast the words of God behind us? We take the words of God that fit our perspective, and we use those, but we cast the other ones behind how many, how many have we heard also give messages in the churches of God that are about all kinds of things and all kinds of topics except the word of God? Is that not casting the words of God behind us? We talk about history. We talk about a, a book, an author, an artist, whatever is going on in the world. Except the word of God. We have to learn the word of God. We're not going to learn to do good by following the examples of the people of this world. We're not going to do that. But the problem is deeper than that. It's not just casting the word behind. It says you hate to be taught. Do we hate to be taught from the word of God? When something, when God convicts us with his word through someone or something, and it's clear right before our eyes, I'm sure it has happened to you. That sometimes God brings something to your attention. It has happened to me. God brings something to your attention right in front of your eyes with the word of God. But we cannot hate to be taught or ignore it or cast the words behind us. We cannot do that. We have to listen to the words of God. Because this is what has happened. Sadly, in, in, in many of the churches of God, is casting the Word of God behind us and talking about everything and all kinds of good lessons. They're they're good, 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 good speeches. They're very good speakers. Absolutely. Very charismatic. But is that what God wants us to learn, or does He want us to learn His Word? Does He want us to learn His commandments? Because this message is for all the churches of God. This is for all of us, that we don't cast the words of God behind us. Let's go to Ezekiel 34. We know that these are very stern warnings, but it's good to read them. Because our God is a God of strength and of righteousness. And yes, of love and compassion. That's what he does too. But he says in in Ezekiel 34, verse 1, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherd of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? And that's what Jesus told Peter, right? Feeding like my flocks. If if you love me, if you agape me, that's what he said, and that's what we read at the very beginning. The commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and being strength. And we cannot shepherd the flocks if we just if we're not loving God. If we don't agape God. This is verse three. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You kill the fat ones, but you do not feed the flock. And this is a stern warning to all of us, especially to those of us who are elders and teachers. We have to feed the flock from the word of God. We cannot cast the words of God behind us. It says, "You have not made the weak strong, nor have you healed the sick, nor have you bound up the broken. You have not brought brought again." Those that were driven away. Nor have you sought that which was lost. But you have ruled them with force and with cruelty. And we cannot do that. We cannot do that. As we know, the brethren, Fred has said this many, many times, and it's so true. The brethren do do not belong to us. They do not belong to us. They do not belong to an organization. They belong to God. They belong to Jesus Christ and God the Father. Because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And we know that. And we know that, but this is just a reminder to all of us that the brethren are not ours and they're not to come to us, that we're to point them to God and that we're not to rule them with force and with cruelty. And he says, and they were scattered for lack of a shepherd. And they became food to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. Why? Because we were not pointing them to the true shepherd. The true shepherd is Jesus Christ. And his word cannot be broken. And he will teach us his ways directly to each and every one of us. And we have to trust that God is working with each and every one of us. That we all have his Holy Spirit. And we do come to God. And we're growing in grace and knowledge. But we cannot cast his word behind us. And we cannot, we should not hate to be taught. Because God says, my sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Yet my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth, and none searched nor sought for them. And this is, and, and God is very upset at this. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey, and my flock became food to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherd search for my flock. But the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. And how many times have we seen that? People drawing people unto themselves. And leaders drawing people unto themselves and excluding them from others. And preventing people from talking with other people in other of the churches of God. That's that's damnable. God hates that. God doesn't want that. And verse 18, coming back to Psalm 50, this is the message, continuing the message of what he says. He says, when you saw a thief, then you were pleased to be with him. And you have taken part with adulterers. And how many abuses have we seen throughout our history? And that doesn't mean that it's not the true church. Some people cast it away and say it's not the true church because this can't be of God. Well, guess what? You know, we are people. And we do make mistakes. But there are some egregious things that have been done in the past of abuses of power and of money. That's why it says when you saw a thief, you were pleased to be with him. How many abuses of money under the guise of this is the kingdom of God? Basically saying those things. We know the kingdom of God is not on earth yet. But how much thievery was there? And abuse. And then he says, and you have taken part with adulterers. And how much adultery was there? And how much evil can there really be? But we have to be taught. We have to come back to God. We have to take heed to this message that God is giving to all of us that we don't do these things. That we don't do these things. Because what we read in Ezekiel 34, that's what God wants. He wants us, he wants all of us. To help, to to make the weak strong, to strengthen those who are weak, to seeking those who are lost, to be merciful and kind. Let's go to Psalm 147 because that's the very nature of God. Psalm 147 that shows us the God that we serve, the Lord, who, who is coming with a tempest around him, with fire before him. This is the same God. This is the same God. verse 3, says what he does. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by their names. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Just to have the realization of who is the God that we serve. The Lord lifts up the meek. He casts the wicked down to the ground. That's what the Lord does. He lifts up the meek. He heals the brokenhearted. And you know what, brethren? Every single one of us are brokenhearted in one way or another. We all are. That's why he heals the brokenhearted because he's going to heal all of us if we come to him, if we heed his word, because we all have been hurt. We all carry this hurt. And this is the, the, the reason why is because we, we all have this, this evil nature. That's what it is. Human nature is evil. The human heart is desperately wicked, and our nature is not subject to the laws of God, and it cannot be. That's why we're not, not going to stop sinning, but we're going to stop practicing sin, which is different. But we do have this wicked nature. We have this evil nature. And these are some of the things that God is warning us in this message, because at some, one point or another, we have all done them, and we have to repent. And many of, for many of them, we have repented, and God accepts that. And we also have to believe that, that God accepts our repentance. And that God is for us. Because this is not about us, brethren. This is not about you and me. This is about God, and this is about His plan. That's why He hates this. Verse 19, back to Psalm 50. This is why He says this, because this is about His glory. And what do people say about about his church verse 19 you give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit do we do that does our tongue frame deceit from time to time do we give our mouth to evil only we know only we know verse 20 you sit you speak against your brother you slander your own mother's son. Have we spoken against our brother? we're talking about spiritual brethren because we are the spiritual body of God, of Christ. We are the church of God. All of us. All the churches of God. But how we sit and speak against your brother? How many splits in the churches have there been? Is this not carnality? Is this not speaking against our brother? Is this not slandering your, our own mother's son? Is this not what we have done at one point or another? Or we're accusing the brethren. Or we're pointing the finger. This is a warning for all of us. That we don't do that. Because God hates that. God hates when we do this. Let's go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23. And this message is, like I said, is to all of us. To all of us in the churches of God. Because God loves all of us. But he expects better. Because he's so much greater than than that. So much greater than for us to do these kind of things. Jeremiah 23, verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and have not taken care of them. Behold, I will bring upon you the evil of your doing, says the Lord. Are we causing division? Is that what we're doing? When we speak against our brother, when we bring up accusations, is that the purpose that somebody gets this fellowship that somebody gets expelled? Is that what we do? Is that what God wants? and conversely do we do we just want to hear nice things? Is that what it is sometimes that's that's casting our words behind us behind us. And there's a warning in verse 16 here in the same, same chapter of Jeremiah 23. In verse, uh, verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you vain. They speak a vision from their own heart, not out of the mouth of the Lord. They still say to those who despise me, The Lord has said, You shall have peace. And they say to everyone who walks after the imagination of his own heart, No evil shall come upon you. And here's the question for who has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word instead of books and authors and artists and history and all of these other messages. Who has heard the word of God who has attended the word and heard it? There's some good lesson. There's some good Christian lessons in those messages. But is that what God has called us to? It's so much more than that. Let's go back to Psalm 50. Psalm 50 in verse 21. he says, these things you have done, and I have kept silence. You thought that I was like yourself. And sometimes that does happen, brethren. That does happen to some of us at times, or maybe all of us at times. We think that we are like God. That's why we need to fast, to humble ourselves to acknowledge what little of nothing we really are before God. Because sometimes we can think that we're just like God. But we have to humble ourselves because it says here, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Set these things before your eyes. There is so much more than just the foundational. That is so much more than just the letter of the law. There is so much more of just taking some pieces and parts of what the word of God says is so much more, is that we fear and we love the great God of the universe. That he has called us into a great purpose. And that we have to fear him and love him and stay close to him. Because God is giving us a warning here. And this is for all of us all the time. And he tells us in verse 22, Now consider this you who forget God who forget God, and are playing church, or playing social club, or playing politics. Just consider this, you who forget God. Lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. And this is God speaking to us. If we're accusing our brother, if we're causing slander, if we're doing these things, this needs to stop. We cannot forget God, because he is the head of the church, because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Because if we don't do that, he's going to tear us up. And there'll be none to deliver. Because we're sinning against the very one whom we claim to serve. And we cannot do this. Let's go to Psalm 28 and verse 4. Because these are, these are the things that, that can come upon us. He says, give to them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their practices. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Give them what they deserve. And you know what, brethren, every single one of us will be judged by God, is being judged by Jesus Christ. And we will all be face to face before Jesus Christ our Lord. And we'll have to give account for what we did, for what we believe, for what we did, good or evil. And that's what and, and and that is the danger here. that is the warning that he's giving here. He is giving this warning that we may all repent. He wants us to repent because the God we serve is so good and so righteous and so merciful and so compassionate and so patient. but we cannot just say that he's just patient with the world. he's patient with us. Because he wants all, and that means all, to come to repentance, not just the world. All of us, too, to continuously repent. And to come back to God and to remember that we serve the great God of the universe. That we are to love him with all our hearts, soul, mind, and being. Because in verse 23, he comes back to that. He comes back to the hope and what he wants us to do. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and he who sets his conduct are right. If God is showing us things that we're doing out of this list, and we all know what we've done or what we're doing, and if we don't, we can pray about it, and God can show him to us. He wants to show us our faults. Just like David prayed in Psalm 51, which is a psalm that continues, Show me my secret faults. Cleanse me from presumptuous sins, thinking that I'm just like yourself. Thinking that I'm just like God. Cleanse us from that. We have to pray, each and every one of us, that he would cleanse us from all of this. In all of the churches of God. That we won't cast our words behind us. His words behind us. That we would love one another. But especially, first and foremost, that we love God. And that we fear him. And that we honor him. Because whoever offers praise... In, glorifies him, he says. And he who sets his conduct aright, I will show him the salvation of God. This is the promise. Let's go to Revelation to close after the message. Because this is another message to us today. There's no denying that we are living in the last times. And that we are, if these are eras, that we're living in the era of Laodicea. And let's read what he says to us. Let's all own it. We cannot we cannot continue saying this is them or this is them or this is no, or this is some of us. No, this is us. This is us right now. We have to come back to God. Because these warnings apply all the time because we continually have to repent and continually have to come back to God. This is all of us. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, that's us, right? These things says the Amen. The faithful and true witness. The beginner of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you be either cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm, you're neither here nor there. And you are neither cold nor hot. I will spew you out of my mouth. Verse 17, for you say, I am rich. And this is for all of us to think about it. Are we rich? In what way are we rich? I am rich and have become wealthy and have, be- and have need of nothing. And you do not understand that you are wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. And this has happened and this continues to happen, sadly. But it continues to happen. Because sometimes the riches, for some people, they may say we have the largest organization. We have the most feast sites. We have the most people. We have the most music. We have the most worship. We have this or that or the other. But for some groups, is we have the most knowledge. We have the deepest messages. We have most of the word of God. But without love, without loving God, without that first and greatest commandment, and without loving our brethren, when we're doing those things in the warning message, that he says, you speak against your brother. You speak against your own own mother's son. When you cast my word behind you, you hate to be taught. When we do those things. We are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, and that includes me. That includes all of us. That includes all of us. That we, in our heads, from time to time, undeniably, we become rich. And we go through cycles. We go through cycles. Where we, we do get lifted up in vanity and arrogance. That's undeniable because it's part of human nature. If We don't even acknowledge it. God cannot help us. But have we become rich? In what way have we become rich? In knowledge, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. But it says, I am rich and have become wealthy. Is it knowledge? Is it number of people? Is it congregations? Is it activities? Is it groups? Is it physical things that we're doing? What is it that we're rich in? This is for you to think about, about yourself, for me to think about myself. And in what way are we wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? Because this is an attitude. When somebody understands, the wretchedness, the misery, the 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 poverty, the blindness, and the nakedness that we do really have, and we still have because we haven't arrived yet, then we're going to do what it says in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold, purified by fire. And these are trials, and these are tribulations. And God does allow them, but just like Jesus said, Offenses will come, but woe to him by whom they come. We should stay close to God so that they're the least amount possible by us. He says, "By gold, so that you may be rich. You may be rich truly, but when you're rich truly, you're really going to understand that you have nothing that you have not received. You're really going to understand that there's nothing that you've done for yourself. We're all going to understand that." It says, and white garments so that you may be clothed. White garments, the righteous righteous actions of the saints. And those are actions. It's not just doctrine. It's not just a, a, a teaching. It's what we do. It's not just what we say. White garments so that you may be clothed. And the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Because God is the one that clothes us. And we're going to be kings and priests in his kingdom, but we have to have these white garments. That's what he told the priesthood to do. That's how he told the priesthood to dress with those white, pure linen garments. And that's what he wants for us too, spiritually as well. That our nakedness, spiritual nakedness, from doing all these things in the warning message in Psalm 50, that it would not be revealed and to anoint your eyes with sap so that you may see. We need to stop playing church. We need to stop playing games. We need to stop accusing brethren and ministers right and left. We need to stop that. In all the churches of God, we need to stop playing church. We need to stop talking about the physical. Because we serve a spiritual God in in spirit and in truth. That's what Jesus said. That's how, that's how God desires to be worshipped, in spirit and in truth. Not in the letter. Not in the flesh. Not just in the external. Because God knows the heart. and He tells us, as many, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And this Psalm 50, this message to the churches of God, is because God loves us. And this goes to me, too. This is for all of us. Nobody's exempt from this. This warning. And this message, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Be zealous for God, for his word, to do the things that God does with us, to be compassionate to others, to give the benefit of the doubt, to be merciful, to be loving. That's what God wants us to do. This is Jesus Christ saying, behold, I stand at the door and knocks.'" And knock and he's knocking right now if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come into him and will sup with him and he with me and we better do this right now that he's knocking and we have a personal intimate relationship with god based on his word based on the things that he says in there so that he can come and sup with us and us with him before he comes in power With tempest all around him and fire devouring before him. Before that happens, because that's going to happen. Because this is a promise to the one who overcomes. I will give authority to sit with me in my throne. Even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. To the one who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches.